0: All right, so you're going to want your Bibles today. We are in a long passage in Scripture. It's in John chapter 4, and the reason you're going to want your Bibles today is because it's, it's 42 verses. So we thought, hey, the windiest day of the year, let's go for it. 42 verses uh, so that you guys can just wonder the whole time how long the sermon is going to be. So John chapter 4, it's one of my favorite chapters in, in the whole Bible. Uh, Vince, I don't think he knew this when he planned the preaching schedule, but when he gave me this passage, uh, I was excited because this is one of my favorite stories that that we're about to talk about. We're in the Gospel of John and as Vince has been saying very helpfully, if I don't blow away, uh, as Vince has been saying very helpfully over the last few weeks, the Gospel of John acts like a documentary. These are true stories about Jesus' life and things he did and yet John has an intention in telling us the stories that he wants to tell us. He wants to tell us certain things about Jesus so that we would see that he's the savior of the world. And so today we're looking at one of my favorite stories again in in John chapter 4 here's what today's going to look like besides us being distracted by the wind a lot peace be still um <laughs> i i've tried that every windy day of my life it has yet to work i don't have the gift of uh weather calming i guess spiritually but uh <laughs> so Here's what today is going to look like. There's really only two parts to the sermon. The first part of the sermon, we're going to look at this conversation that Jesus has with this woman at the well, and here's the goal of the first part of the sermon, to look at Jesus, to see Jesus, to get to know him more, to see the type of person and thus the type of God that he is. That's, that's, uh, you might think, oh, there's all these different things I should say, or no, no, I just want us to zoom in, look at this conversation, and see Jesus for who he is. That's the whole first part of the sermon. The second part of the sermon, we're going to be left, after we look at this conversation that Jesus has with this woman at the well, we are going to be left with a question about, uh, really, a, a theological question. And the question is simply this, how do we get this living water? We just heard O'Kim read and how uh, this idea of living water comes up, and we're going to be left with this question, how do I get this living water that Jesus offers? Okay, so first part, we're going to look at Jesus deeply. Second part, we're going to answer that question, how do we get this living water that Jesus offers? So let's turn to John chapter 4. If you're not familiar with the Bible, There's two parts to the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, and the New Testament starts off with four books or four documentaries about Jesus' life. And so we're going to be in John chapter 4. Just to warn you guys today, I'm going to stop a lot as we go through this story. And the reason I, I, I am going to have a stop a lot is, it might be because I'm a bad preacher, but it also might be because I really want us to look at this conversation closely, I find that when I read the Bible, so often I kind of just gloss through it or I go through it and this story is such a famous story that even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've probably heard this story before or an reiteration of it or a portion of it. And so what I want us to do is to break that conversation up and stop at different moments and look in at what is Jesus saying? What is this woman saying? What 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 is exactly going on here? And so we'll be stopping a lot, but it will be good for us to see who Jesus is. Okay? All right, John chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 6 to start us off. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, let's set the scene here. Let's understand what's going on. I'm backing up so the sun doesn't blind me. Um, Let's set the scene here. Jesus finds out that the Pharisees, they're they're starting to uh, know more about him. And Jesus is really, what we'll see in the gospels and in the gospel of John, Jesus is really intentional about his ministry. He's really intentional about how he rolls it out and when he wants to roll it out and how he wants to bring about the kingdom. And so the Pharisees are giving him a bit too much of attention. So he says, let's go, hey, let's go to Galilee. It will quiet down a bit. I won't be getting as much attention because Jesus isn't ready for that attention yet which we go, that just kind of defies everything I know about how to proclaim and bring about your kingdom. And and part of the reason is Jesus lived on the other side of the cross and we live on the other side of the cross. And so things are a little bit different, but Jesus wants to go have things get a little bit quieter. And so the fastest way to Galilee for him is to go through this area of Israel called Samaria. Now we've heard a lot about Samaria over the years. Some have even said certain people would travel around Samaria rather than through Samaria because of how much the Jewish people of the, of the day just did not like the Samaritans. So, so here, what is Samaria? Samaria was this region in Israel where these people lived that were referred to as the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were simply this, they were half Jewish and half not Jewish, So half their lineage came from Jewish ancestry. Things are going to be flying today. And half their ancestry came from, they didn't know, or different, they did know, but just different non-Jewish entities. And the Jewish people that, that surrounded this region of Samaria, they just looked down on Samaritans. They looked down on this region of Samaria. They saw it like it was a bad neighborhood. They, the Samaritans, they they kind of believed what the Jewish people believed. The Jewish people believed the whole Old Testament as their Bible. The Samaritans only believed the first five books of the Old Testament as their Bible. And so there was religious differences between them. There was worship practices that were different. There was all sorts of differences between them. And the Jewish people just could not, handle that. They thought they were uh, making God's word, that like, like essentially they were irreverent towards God and who he was. They thought they, that the Samaritans had been twisting God's word, and so there was a lot of racism between the Jews and the Samaritans. There was just a lot of Jewish superiority. In fact, there's a, you can read different quotes that different Jewish people and leaders had at the time about the Samaritans, and they're just disgusting. They're just bad. There was one quote I was gonna read, but it's truly too vulgar to read on a Sunday morning, but it gives you a picture of how the Jewish people looked at these Samaritans. And so any Jewish reader reading the story and seeing that Jesus is willing to travel through Samaria, not only travel through Samaria, but stop through Samaria, which people did. It wasn't, you know, I think we grew up here and everybody traveled around it. Sometimes people did travel through it. It wasn't that uncommon. But it would grab people's attention because they would go, what is this rabbi? What is Jesus going to do in Samaria? And Jesus being fully God and fully man, he's not afraid to stop in the bad neighborhood of Samaria because I think he made every neighborhood. Let's read the next few verses. Verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so Jesus, he's thirsty, he stops, and he just, he he wants a drink. Unfortunately, he doesn't carry a bucket around with him everywhere, or a cup with a really long rope on it around with him everywhere. And so this woman shows up at noon at the well, and he says, hey, can I have a drink? right, that give me a drink sounds forceful there, but I really think he's just saying, hey, hey, can I I have a drink? This Samaritan woman, she's perplexed, and she's perplexed, rightfully so. Not only is there barriers between them because she's a Samaritan and he's Jewish, but there are gender barriers between them as well. She's a woman, he's a man. Back then, women were seen as less than In Jesus's day, in that area, women were just seen as less than, as not as good as men, as not as equal as men. That's how it was viewed. Women didn't have the same legal rights. Women couldn't be witnesses in court. And so here you have this man, this rabbi, and you could tell people were rabbis by what they wore. And I think that's why often Jesus is called a rabbi, a teacher of the Jewish law, and she sees this Jewish rabbi say, give me a drink. And she, she's just perplexed. This would be an awkward situation. This would be an awkward situation. I don't know if you've ever had random strange men approach you out of nowhere, but it freaks me out when it happens, okay? When a random man comes up to me and talks to me, I'm like, I'm out of here. And so I imagine that most people in that scenario, they would have just given this guy a drink and taken off. Especially when you know What rabbis thought about women? I was looking at this and thinking, how did rabbis deal with women? And I was looking at some different things, some different historical things. One thing was this. If you were really a holy rabbi, a lot of rabbis taught this. If you were really a good rabbi, a holy, good, perfect, godly rabbi, you made a practice of not talking to women in public. That's, that's what they did in that day. They said, hey, if you're really holy, you're just not even going to talk to women in public. I saw one another crazier thing that rabbis would do. Rabbis encouraged each other to not even talk to their wives very much because it took away from studying the word. And they were less holy if they talked to their wives. So So women are completely looked down upon. Jesus is kind of making an awkward situation a little bit here, and what does she do, though? How does, how does she respond? Let's read verse 9 again, just real quick, so we can see how she responds. She says, give me a drink. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Can you hear the sarcasm? Can you hear the, the, the intonation? She's, 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 being, she's dishing it to Jesus, She's going, how is it that you all-superior rabbi Jewish guy would ask for a drink from me, you know, nasty Samaritan people like you guys all say? This is what she's saying. The Samaritan, she's bold, she's direct, she's feisty. I, I really like her, right? I need her around when a strange man approaches me like that. I need this woman in my life to protect me from strange men, She's feisty. Jesus responds to her and her feistiness. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, hey, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, let's stop there. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He's giving it back to her. She's feisty, and you're going, oh, No, he's a, not, not Jesus. No, Jesus is giving it back to her. She goes, You are some stuck up Jew. Why do you want to drink from me? And Jesus goes, If you knew who I really was, you'd ask me for some water. Right? So not only is he giving it back to her, but he's intriguing her with this idea of living water because Jesus, I think he's a little bit playful. Jesus wants her to enter into this conversation with him about living water. And so she calls him a stuck-up Jew, and he doesn't take offense. He goes, well, hey, if you really knew who I was, you'd be asking a different question. I love I love Jesus in the Bible versus the Jesus I grew up with. I grew up with a Jesus, I I watched a lot of TBN. Do you guys know TBN, Trinity Broadcast Network? I grew up, that's how you know I grew up really in the church. I had to watch that channel all the time. It's the Jesus Channel, and you, you watch all kinds of things on the Jesus channel, but there's all these depictions of Jesus in different movies and cartoons and stuff. And 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 the the Jesus channel Jesus is different than this Jesus. The Jesus channel Jesus, he's almost always Caucasian, which threw me off always. But then the Jesus channel Jesus, he's always kind of just like an angel. He's always like looking through people. Like he's never like a real human. Like he's like, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have, like, it's just creepy. He's just creepy every time. Like I get why people are weirded out by Jesus. Because the way we depict him in art is this kind of creepy, weird Jesus. But when you read and see how he really responds and how he really interacts with people, he's not creepy. He's kind of funny, he's playful, he's kind of wise in how he talks with people. I love the Jesus of the Bible more than the Jesuses I grew up with on different movies. All right, let's see her response. He says, hey, if you knew who I really was, you'd actually ask me for for living water. Now, before we go on to living water was this phrase used to to talk about like really fresh spring water that would just keep coming out of a a really great spring near them. And so living water was like the best kind of water around and, and I think pretty hard to find. And so he says, if you knew who I really was, you'd ask me for the best water there is. Let's see how she responds in verses 11 and 12. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. I love her. I love this. This lady is so feisty. Jesus goes, you'd ask me for water if you knew who I was. And she goes, you don't even have a cup. That's how this conversation started. (laughs) I have the cup, you don't. I have the bucket, you don't. And then she, she got a little dig at him. Do you know this is the dig? She goes, are you better than Jacob? Do you know Jacob in the Bible? I don't know. I know we both agree on that part of the Bible. Do you know Jacob? Are you better than him? Are you saying, he built this well like 2,000 years ago, Jesus. She doesn't know his name yet. Rabbi. And he drank from it and his kids drank from it and even his cows drank from it. You better than him? Where's your well? I love her. She's so feisty. Their conversation keeps going. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, hey, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus goes, listen, okay. No, I've got a different kind of water. I've got a living water. That's the kind of water you drink once and you never need to drink water again. I'm offering you something that you haven't heard of before. That's what Jesus is saying to her. I love, and her response, she keeps the feistiness going a little bit. She's not about to buy snake oil from somebody. Like she's very skeptical and she just goes, Well, then, where is this water? Sir, can I have a drink of this water so I don't have to come here all the time anymore? Are you watching what Jesus is doing in how he loves? He's not intimidated by her personality, he's not pushed away by her feistiness. In fact, I would argue that Jesus is moving toward her in this conversation. At every time she's feisty Jesus just keeps going keeps having this conversation where he moves closer and closer to her and her heart love moves toward and what we're going to see is that the way that Jesus loves is he often moves toward people and we're about to watch Jesus move even closer to her so she says give me this water We're going to read verse 16 and half of 17. It says this Jesus said to her, Well, go and call your husband and and then come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Okay, so she says, Give me this living water. Jesus says, All right, we'll go get your husband and and then come here. And her response, "Do Do you notice something about it? She just goes, I have no husband. What do you notice about it? It's short, it's four words. Okay, before, every time Jesus said something, she had a couple sentences, a sentence or two. She had more than four words to respond to Jesus. She had feistiness. She had sarcasm. She had wit. But in this moment, when Jesus said, well, hey, go get your husband, her response is just four words. I I have no husband. Jesus has pressed into a tender area in her life. And it shows in her reduced vocabulary. And Jesus is going to press even more into this tender area. And it's really going to feel like Jesus is intruding. So let's reread 16, and we're going to go through 18. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the, one you are now ha- and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Okay, so we know Jesus. Jesus, fully God, fully man, so connected to the Holy Spirit, knows things about her life that none of us would know without the Holy Spirit revealing it to us. He says, go get your husband. She goes, I don't have... husband and he goes yeah I know you've had five husbands and I know that even the guy you're with right now is not really your your husband I know I know here's something about Jesus's love that we're going to notice throughout the gospels sometimes love also intrudes Okay, I I, I say that, let's be careful with that because some of you are gonna go and intrude in people's life in unloving ways. But the way that Jesus does it is a healthy intrusion into someone's life. And he brings up this tender area. And that day it was uncommon to have this many husbands. You might be going, okay, why is he saying, okay, the one you're with is not your husband right now? In that day, especially in Jewish thought and even in Samaritan thought, Sex was tied to being a spouse, to being a husband or being a wife. And so Jesus is, he's really intruding. He's saying, I know, I, I, I know, your, I know your baggage. I know what's going on. What's funny is growing up, I've heard this story a, a, a bunch of times and almost always this woman, she's kind of portrayed as like, look, she's this promiscuous woman. She just can't find a guy, and she's going from guy to guy to guy to guy. And that could be true about her. But again, if we think about the context of the day that they were in, and not even just the context of the day they were in, the context of where she, as a Samaritan, was, being a a, a somewhat oppressed people by the Jewish people at the time, you have to begin to think, we don't know why she had this five-husband scenario going on. We don't know if all the other husbands died. We don't know if they cheated on her and left her multiple times. We don't know if she was so oppressed that she kept finding herself in these situations where she's being oppressed. We don't know if she is just trying to survive and make enough money or food or whatever to survive, to literally survive. We don't know her story. And so I would just encourage us to be careful and not just assume we know what's going on. What's what's probably happening is a mixture of all those things, or some of them and not some of the others. And yet Jesus wants to press into this tender area, which we're kind of just left going, Jesus, why are you you pressing into this? What's going on? Could you just kind of not be socially awkward, Jesus? Why do you got to make her feel shame right now? And this is what I think Jesus is doing. He wants to give her living water. He knows her baggage. And he says, listen, I even know your baggage and I still want to give you this living water. How powerfully loving is that? That would be loving just in today's world if someone who was a spiritual leader said, no, I want you to have what I can offer despite your baggage, but how much more so in Jesus's day where women were oppressed, where Samaritans were oppressed, and this woman in particular has all this baggage for which she was probably somewhat of a social outcast because of. And Jesus still goes, no, but I want you to have this living water. Jesus presses into this tender area so that she knows there is no shame too big for him to cover. Let's see how she responds. Verse 19 and 20. She said, the woman said to him, Sir, I I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Okay, so... She goes, I, I think you're a prophet. Now, for Samaritans to believe in a prophet was a big deal. They believed Moses was the prophet, and that was it. And they knew that some prophet was going to come again one day, but they, th- it was a big deal for her to say, okay, I think you're a prophet. <laughs> you know all my baggage. You know all my stuff. I think you're the real deal. And right away, she goes in verse 20, she just has this question. It's a religious question. She goes, hey, us Samaritans, we say worship over here. You, Jewish people, you say worship over there in Jerusalem. What is it? A lot of people to read this verse, and they go, she's deflecting. Jesus pressed, it into the, pressed into this tender area in her life, and she's like, well, never mind. Let's talk about this. Now, that could be what's happening. Or could it be that she's so convinced that she matters less than the biggest re- religious question of the day for her people and the Jewish people and the divide between them? I don't know. She could be deflecting. She's pretty feisty. I wouldn't be surprised if she was deflecting. But I also wouldn't be surprised if she's feisty enough to ignore her own baggage and see herself as less than because of it and just go, well, what's really important is to answer this religious question. Now, Jesus has been trying to talk to her about living water. Let's watch how Jesus responds to her religious question that has nothing to do with living water. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, and I'm going to re-say that as madam. I read a translator today that said, you know, madam is probably a better translation of that word. Jesus said to her, madam, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Did you notice what Jesus did there? He's been wanting to talk to her about living water. She has a religious question, and he answers her religious question. I don't think you get the weight of that. This rabbi who is trying to have a conversation with her, this rabbi who's revered in all other places throughout Israel, this rabbi who normally have control of any conversation that they're in, says, I'm going to let you have control. You want to talk about this? This question's important to you? Let's talk about it. And he goes, listen, listen, it's not going to matter. The stuff that's happening, the stuff that's going on, the way that God's bringing about his kingdom... It's not going to matter where you worship. It's just going to matter that you worship in spirit and in truth. I love Jesus. I love how he is loving this woman. He's willing to just let her have command of the conversation, and he doesn't even get to talk about what he wants to talk about. Okay, verses 25 through 30, it kind of plays out like a scene in a movie, I feel like. So Jesus answers her question. She responds The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, I'm him. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek?" or Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to him. Okay, so Jesus has this interesting conversation with her. She has a religious question. He answers it in a way that is appealing to her. And she goes, Listen, I know that there's a Messiah coming. I know there's this guy that Moses talked about who's going to come and change our hearts and make our hearts a, a, like flesh instead of like stone. I know that guy's coming. And Jesus goes, I'm him. And then classic knucklehead disciples, they just like, you know, they're just like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? You know, and do you, I don't know if you were ever in a conversation where you're like in a serious conversation with someone and then someone just pops up and they're just like standing there like, uh, like, if that's you, can you stop doing that? Like just feel the room a little bit. Just like go to the bathroom or something. I don't know. But the disciples do this. She's kind of like, this is too, I don't know why she leaves, but she's like, this is too awkward. She takes her water jar. She goes into Saqqara in Samaria and she goes, guys, there is a guy out here at the well who's telling me everything I ever did. I imagine she might be talking to some of those five husbands, And she's going, no, Earl, he's telling me everything. Earl's going, we got to go talk to this guy. Then We got to go figure this out. And so they start heading towards him. And Jesus is at the well with his disciples. And Jesus decides to take a moment to disciple his disciples. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Let's stop there. So Jesus takes this moment with his disciples. His disciples brought back the food, why they went into the town in the first place. And they went, Rabbi, come on, go ahead, eat. And Jesus goes, I, I don't need to, I'm not hungry. And I love the disciples. Just they're just so they're just so tone deaf. And they're just, does someone get him a sandwich? Like what? <laughs> Who? I said I'd get him it. Like they're just like what's going? And Jesus is like, no, you guys don't get it. Do you want to know what makes me satisfied? That's what Jesus saying. Do you want to know what makes me satisfied? Do you want? Do you want to know what makes me not even hungry or remember my physical hunger hunger anymore? To do the will of my Father to begin to work in this harvest. That harvest language is this idea of God bringing people into his kingdom. So Jesus says, do you want to know when I'm satisfied, when I pour myself out, when I love, when I draw people in? You guys just went to go get me food that you didn't grow and you didn't harvest, that you didn't do on your own. This is the kind of work that we are being drawn into by my father. And Jesus says, that's what satisfies me. Jesus is satisfied when he loves. Jesus is satisfied when he offers living water to this random person that he encounters at a well. That's when Jesus feels like he doesn't need to eat anymore. I th- this is incredible that Jesus is satisfied when he is trying to satisfy us. So Jesus had been among his own people who are like just blasting him for the things he's teaching, the things he's saying. His own disciples aren't quite getting it, but this whole town in Samaria is getting it. They believe the woman's testimony. They go out to Jesus. They say, please just stay with us for a couple more days. And they say, you got to be the savior. You're the savior of the world which is truly incredible when you think how they didn't even have the whole Old Testament and the whole Old Testament even much more talks about this savior of the world, much more talks about this Messiah that's gonna come more than the first five books that the Samaritans used. When we look at this story, every time I just, I just love seeing Jesus. I love seeing how he loves have you noticed that Jesus, when He loves people, when He interacts with people, when He engages with people, there's not a one-size-fits-all for how Jesus interacts with people, right? I grew up in evangelicalism. Every church, every organization, they have their one-size-fits-all. They're like, share the gospel like this, do, 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 do. love people like this. Do, 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 do. But Jesus, He loves her at the well, totally different than how He loved Nicodemus a few weeks ago in the middle of the night. He interacts with them totally different. I'm just left every time I read a story about Jesus amazed at his wisdom, his love, his care. There is not a one-size-fits-all to how Jesus loves. All right, that's the first part of the sermon over. We got to look at Jesus for a little bit. Second part of the sermon. We're stuck asking the question that it doesn't seem like she ever followed up with but she must have when they all came back we're we're asking Jesus how do I get this living water that you talked about because he's like this isn't just spring water offer he goes I'm offering you a drink of water where you drink it once and you never are thirsty again Jesus is essentially saying listen it's easy to be thirsty in life I offer you something where you're never thirsty in life It's easy to be dissatisfied in life. I offer you something where you are completely satisfied in life. And so we go, Jesus, give me some of that water. How do I get this water? The reason we're like that is because if we are honest with ourselves, if we look out at the people around us, we know that all of humanity is such a dissatisfied group of people. Right? Like we are constantly chasing things to satisfy us whether it's a new experience or a new restaurant or a new food or a new relationship or a new house or a new car or new whatever the thing is, we are constantly chasing for things to satisfy us. Some of the most popular shows on TV are shows about people trying to satisfy themselves and never quite making it. Or even you watch the end and you're like, that wouldn't have satisfied Right? We are con- I, one thing I love to do is I love to look at uh, celebrity interviews when a celebrity has been like at the top of their game for a number of years, where they have all the fame, all the fortune, they've achieved everything they've wanted to. And almost always in these interviews, there's this moment where they're like, "So what, what's meaningful? What's the purpose in life for you?" And uh, not every celebrity, but a lot of celebrities go, "Yeah, I feel nothing. I'm depressed. All of this stuff, everything I thought I wanted, turns out I don't want it. I, what, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, just, I wish I could be in the room because I think the interviewers are always like, oh, oh, okay, all right. And even us, we go, we, we go, if I had that fame and fortune and achievements, I would be satisfied. But the parable that the celebrities teach us is no, you would not. Humanity is such a dissatisfied group of people. And so when we see this story in John chapter four, we can't help but go, how can I get that living water from Jesus? I don't think it's a mistake that the whole story Jesus is sitting at the well. I think Jesus is trying to be a visual illustration of, of what he can offer. He can offer water at the well, the source of life, the source of satisfaction for that city. He's sitting there almost the whole story, it seems like. I'm gonna, to answer this question, I'm gonna read from John chapter seven. I shouldn't do this because we're gonna preach on this again in a few months, but you know what? We'll just preach it twice. I think it's good enough news that it will sound good Twice. But John chapter 737, Jesus gives a little bit more feet to this idea of living water. He says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Friends, we, get, we live on the other side of the spirit. Jesus has told us that he has sent his spirit to us now. So Jesus in this moment is saying, living water is available, just come to me. Come to me if you're thirsty Believe in me and you will have this spring of living water bubbling up inside of you. That's how we get the living water. We go to Jesus, we believe in him and right now already a good portion of you have fallen into two groups. You're either skeptical as a Christian about this or you're not a Christian and you're skeptical about this. You're like, Anthony, how do I go to to Jesus? You told me once he flew into heaven. Like, well, how do I get to him then? How do I get this living water from Jesus? Here's what I want to speak to both those groups. To the Christian skeptic who says, listen, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've never felt satisfied. I've been a Christian for a lot of years. I, I feel dissatisfied all the time. I don't know if I believe in this promise of Jesus in John chapter four, and John chapter seven. To that person, here's what I encourage you to do. Return to the well. Return to the well that is Jesus. Here's what I think we do a lot of times as Christians. We convince ourselves that the old water is gonna quench our thirst. So Jesus has already given us his living water. And yet we're like, you know what? I I need to go back to some of those old ways of satisfying myself. I need to go back and that's what's really gonna quench my thirst. And then that just turns into this uh, like chain of events where you're just chasing and chasing and chasing satisfaction after satisfaction, which aren't true satisfactions because you're just left feeling dissatisfied within five minutes or two weeks, or whatever time frame it is for you. So to the Christian skeptic, I say this, return to the well. Go back to Jesus for your satisfaction. Go back to him and say, remind me of the living water that you've already given me. That's what I say to the Christian skeptic in the room. To the non-Christian in the room who goes, I, I would love that, Anthony. I would love to be satisfied by Jesus, but this, this whole thing, gets kind of hard. This whole thing, is kind of difficult to understand. I'm going to die. Uh, <laughs> this, it's just going to swallow me up, and then I'm just going to be gone. <laughs> um, you're going, I want that living water. I don't know how to get it. How do I get that living water? And Jesus said, believe in me. And you go, I'm trying. I don't know. I can't believe it. It's just hard. And here's why it's hard. I'm going to use the illustration I used in our youth group a few weeks ago. That word believe there in the Greek, it's a very robust word. In the West, where we live we've taken that word to just mean cognitively believe, just believe, like just believe this, that this happened. We've, we've almost like made it like a science word, right? Like you believe in gravity, right? Like the, this is what we've done. And that is, that word believe, it does mean that, but it also means to trust in, to entrust yourself to. And if I'm not mistaken, when I've studied that Greek word, that's almost like the primary meaning of the word. And so when Jesus says, believe in me, he's saying, trust me. I have living water. You just have to trust me. Which feels like a big task. Here's the illustration I use in youth group. Have you guys seen Aladdin, the old cartoon Aladdin? It was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. I can't draw myself or bring myself to to watch the new one. I don't want the movie ruined for me. I don't want Will Smith ruined for me either. So I, I haven't watched the newest one. But in the old one, there's this pivotal scene where Jasmine and Aladdin are trying to get away from the guards. And Aladdin knows that if he jumps down, there's a sand pile, they'll be fine. If he jumps out of this building into the sand pile, they'll be fine. So he turns to Jasmine as they're trying to get away from the guards and he says, do you trust me? And Jasmine's like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. And then Aladdin reaches out his hand and he just goes, do you trust me? And she can't help but just trust him and take his hand, and they jump out and they get away from the guards, and the guards catch him in like three minutes after that. Anyways, it's a bad, it breaks down. The illustration breaks down. But I think a lot of times when Jesus is saying, Believe in me, he's saying, Just trust me. Just follow me. I promise I have this living water for you. I promise. It might not seem like it, but just take my hand. Trust me, entrust yourself to me and you will not be disappointed one day. That's what I say to the person that says they want the living water. Do what John has invited us to do. John says, come and see. Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, repent. Turn away from the things that you've been turned toward to satisfy you and turn to him instead to satisfy you. So how does that practically look? Just go outside and pray. I think we make it too, like you have to do all these different religious things. No, you can just talk to God. Try to have a conversation with God like the woman at the well had a conversation with Jesus. It might feel one-sided, but I truly believe that the Holy Spirit speaks in those moments, not always audibly, very rarely audibly, and I'm a little bit suspicious when someone says that, but but the Holy Spirit speaks to us in all sorts of different ways, which is a sermon for another day. I've I've told people a lot of times in my life, I, I feel very content. I feel very satisfied. I feel content in Christ because of Christ. And people's, and a little bit, you know, that's my temperament, maybe a little bit, and maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. I certainly feel dissatisfied at different times in my life. But on the whole, I feel pretty content. And when I tell people that, they go, no, you don't. You're lying. But I know I'm telling the truth because I remember what it was like before I had the living water that I have in Christ. I remember what it was like waking up every day just looking for some sort of satisfaction that I couldn't find in any earthly thing or any earthly relationship. I could only find it in Christ. And one day, Jesus gave me that living water and it's completely changed how I exist in this world. I am satisfied because Jesus has given me his living water. when you think about how Jesus secured this, it's just incredible. Jesus, the God of all creation, the God of everything, took on the form of human, took on flesh, where his human flesh was thirsty, and yet he was totally holy. Jesus, in that body, goes to the cross to die for our sins, and on the cross, he thirsts. It's one of the things he says. He says, I thirst so that you and I may never thirst again. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, Jesus wants to take those dissatisfactions. He wants to take that thirst. He wants to take it away, and he was willing to thirst himself in order to secure that that for us. And his resurrection is just a proof of that. He goes, I'm bigger than your thirst. I'm bigger than the brokenness of this world. I'm bigger than the sin that you so often choose and go to. But I want to give you this resurrected body that doesn't really need water the way you need water. What good news. Our gospel is not just a gospel that says, hey, believe all these things so you can get to heaven. And No, the gospel is such good news because it goes, I know you're dissatisfied And I want to satisfy you completely once and for all. And one day he will fully when he returns. Church, I want that for us. I want us to know that only Jesus has living water that can satisfy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you offer living water. Holy Spirit, I ask this. I just made a big claim about you. I made a big claim that you give us living water. I made a big claim that, that we can interact with you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you be gracious? Would you have mercy on me and everybody in here? And Would you just help us to interact and know you? Would you help us to experience your living water? Holy Spirit, it's, it, it just takes a move outside of anything we can do. We will turn away from the things. We will repent. We'll do what we can. But Holy Spirit, we need you to do something in us so we have your living water. God, give us that. We need it so desperately. Amen. Amen.